0: Hello, I am Brennan Storr, host of the Ghost Story Guys podcast.
1: And I am Joseph Camo, host of a lot of things, this, the Cardinal Rule, uh, whatever else I happen to be doing that week.
0: Yes, and this is Weird Together, where we talk about the latest and greatest in, well, I guess, independent horror movies at this point, because we're weird and you're weird. So why not be weird together? Weird Together is part of the Ghost Story
1: Guys family, which also includes the podcast, Mysteries and Monsters, Luke Lore, and... Transmissions from the Void.
0: Yes, Transmissions from the Void is a horror audio podcast, so if you like horror fiction, check it out. We are really proud of that one, and it is now available on streaming platforms everywhere. So, Joseph. Yeah. It's been a little while.
1: has. It has, like, yeah.
0: We, we missed December, did we not? <sighs>
1: well, we did. I don't know if I really missed it, but yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. We Fair. won't miss it, but I think yeah. we missed the show.
1: Right. So. We did. We did. Yes, but It's good to be back, man
0: it really is yes i uh i was just saying to you uh off air that i, I this afternoon i went to go see Skinamarink, which is an ultra low budget uh, independent canadian horror film that is playing in limited release in theaters and uh it looks like it's coming out on shutter on february 2nd so i think that'll be the first film for our audio version of the okay. show uh and i'm desperate to make you watch that <laughs> Because well, I have to watch it.
1: That seems like a pattern. If I have to watch it, <laughs> then you have to watch it, Joe. No,
0: no you're not wrong. You're not you know, wrong. and
1: we're we're still friends, so I don't know what that says, but you
0: know, uh, nothing. Well, it's something good. I, I'm sure that I, either that or both of us have it in an enormous capacity for abuse.
1: Yes, yes. And I, I should
0: say I, I'm not shitting on Skin Marink. It's a very original, very mm. it, it is a it is of a singular vision. It's just it's. It's it, it's a challenging film. We'll say that. We'll talk more about that when it comes out, though. But uh, this time around, Joseph,
1: yeah. we
0: are talking about Something in the Dirt. We are. Yes. That is the latest film from directors Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who have previously done films like Synchronic, Resolution, The Endless, and a couple others I'm missing, one of which I quite like, so I'm annoyed that I've forgotten it. But regardless, <laughs> talented indie filmmakers And this is their latest effort. It's an ultra DIY film. Came out again last year. uh, Shot during COVID. Very small crew. And it is about two men who witnessed something uh, seemingly paranormal in one of their apartments. And so they set out to document it. And we are going to be talking about it. But before we do that, of course, when you watch a movie, you don't just watch it in a vacuum. You always have baggage. (laughs) All right, Joseph, what was your baggage going into Something in the Dirt?
1: So my baggage, in, in part, was about expectations and also lack of familiarity. You know, I'm sort of new in this this genre, and, and it's part of what's interesting. I think about what we do is I get to kind of come at it from a new perspective, someone who isn't familiar with, with these films. So I didn't know about these two filmmakers in their previous work. And when I went into it, I went into it it set this sort of tone initially of being this kind of serious semi documentary mockumentary found footage or something like that type of film. And I expected it to maybe, you know, be something that was trying to be really serious. And as I got through it, and we'll certainly get into this later. um, I I saw that, or I, I learned afterwards that there were sort of almost some comedic notes and satire notes and things we can talk about. And I think based on my expectations, I didn't watch the film the right way the first time Um, on my second viewing. I think I hit those notes hit differently and I got it better. Um, So, so part of my baggage was kind of going into it with expectations of maybe a more serious horror sci-fi film. And it wasn't trying to be that serious in those ways. I think as after I watched it the second time.
0: Interesting. Okay. So for me, uh, my baggage going in, again, I was familiar with the filmmakers. I I think I've seen all of their films except for Resolution, their first. I have not seen that. But I'm I'm generally speaking in the bag for their stuff. It's really, really inventive, clever sci-fi. Again, Mm -hmm. The Endless is great. Synchronic is great. I feel like there's one in between those two that I'm just blanking on. It's driving me fucking crazy. But anyways, I was in the bag. Uh, My my only hesitation going in was that I knew it was a COVID production. Mm -hmm. And the there was another uh COVID era not era, we're still in the fucking COVID era, but like right. another COVID horror film called In the Earth, directed by Ben Wheatley that was shot during kind of lockdown. And I, I didn't like it. It it was it was popular. I know it did very well, but I uh it literally, critically, at least I don't know what it how it did financially, but I, I didn't really enjoy it. Mm. You know, I felt like it's from what I understand, I, I, after listening to other podcasts, when the lockdown hit, a lot of people said, okay, this is the time for me to write that great novel or that great screenplay. Right. But then once we came out of it, from what I understand, and again, I'm not in that industry, so I can't say this with any definite certainty, but I've heard this from people in the industry. From what I understand, a lot of those scripts were not great. Mm. <laughs> you know? But I can't imagine why. The world's falling down around your fucking ears. Right. It's weird that you're not on your A game. So, again, I wasn't crazy about in the earth. I kind of thought it was a little bit half-baked, and it just wasn't for me. So I wasn't sure about this one. You know, again, I knew it was very small, and so I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, But, I mean, short version is I very much enjoyed it, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you about it because there's really only one place we can do that, Joseph. Yes. That's a Toctagon. Welcome to the Toctagon. Two men enter, two men leave. Yes, right. And we should say uh, again: this is uh, we're recording this via video because this is our monthly live stream. But this is going to be available as an audio podcast as well. So if you are listening to this uh, on our feed, we're just we'll, we will be on RSS feeds as Weird Together. We're not yet, but we will be shortly. And uh, if you are listening to this, there are going to be yeah, little video things that are not going to make a lot of sense, but I assure you, they're very clever, <laughs> primarily because they were designed. By me. And if you don't think they're clever, they were designed by Joseph.
1: Right, right. That's, that's completely unfair and par for the course, yeah.
0: Yeah, you knew what this was when you signed <laughs> on. That's true, that's true. So you thought the film was, was funny, which I didn't yeah. expect. I didn't see coming. I did not. But, so I'm curious, I'm curious to hear about this.
1: So, you know, obviously it was not a yuck, yuck comedy film you know, all the way through, but there were these these comedic notes and, you know, my, and, you know, and I, I didn't quite catch them my first viewing, maybe some of them I, I, a little bit, but as I got into it, uh, I caught them a lot more. There were some obvious things just, you know, like the, the radiation suit, right? You know, like the absurd, okay. you know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it reminds me of, and I, I, I didn't prepare an images, but if you've ever seen the movie, uh, uh it's it's the the m night Shyamalan movie with mel gibson and uh joaquin phoenix oh, signs. S- signs and the point where he walks in and joaquin phoenix has the tinfoil hat on you know it's just kind of that absurd ridiculous like yeah that's that's really going to protect you from radiation so there was that um i thought that, like the points where they interviewed the various specialists and scientists and various people that you know they're doing these serious interviews and looking interviews and, you know, certainly one of them, the first one uh, with, with, with this, with this uh, professor who was a, was an art history or something? They said that she did. Uh, that's, I will say that one, that first interview with her, when she says it was really said, what happened here and not just for the one who died. Okay. That set a serious tone. Right. But, but throughout the film as they started interviewing additional one and additional specialists and various other folks there were just these things that were subtle humor where like, it seemed like that John and Levi had set out to interview these people wanting something. And they got, and the, 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 they were not delivering in what they wanted. They were like, you know, uh, they interviewed the one geologist and he's like, well, you know, uh, he's they're asking what what did you find there and he's describing a few of the mineral deposits well you know what about the quartz and how that generates electricity he's like no that's not going to generate electricity yeah
0: that's not how that works yeah yeah. Yeah. but
1: you call your your scientist friend right yes he's like yeah i i reached out to a friend from college or whatever and professor so and so and because i thought there was maybe some impaired cognitive stuff going on right like he's like (laughs) they're looking for him to say yeah there's something under this house that's causing some weird phenomena and he's like no i i was worried that you all were going crazy right so like right and then there's the other person they interview who was i think from the local county something or i forget what it was like it looked like it was a, some sort of government agency and they're interviewing him and like well what do you think went on here he's like well you know i don't want to be rude and like well no tell us like well, uh, you know, I have to question why what you were trying to accomplish, like uh, you know, trying to get attention or something. and there's just all these points where they're they're not getting what they want out of it. And it seems like you know they're trying to make it this serious thing some of those interviews though remind me a little bit of uh, the interviews in with experts in
0: the film we did very early, uh, the house in between right I was I ju- I was waiting to th- to bring that up, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, but, and I, I think yeah. that's intentional because yeah. when you watch any paranormal documentary that tries to come at it from a scientific angle, it's almost invariably not with the help of real scientists. And when they do try to bring on real scientists, like that long-suffering guy in the house in between who was trying to explain about basic scientific tenets, they he, they're just it, it's very frustrating for them because they're talking to laymen who fancy themselves experts.
1: And are trying to fit what the, the information they're giving them in a way that doesn't really make sense scientifically. They're taking whatever they are getting and trying to shoehorn it right into oh, yeah. in in a way that doesn't fit. So, so I thought those interviews, especially when he talked about you know that he was worried about some impaired decision making or cognition, <laughs> right. those were some funny notes to me. Real quick, I want to say hey to Derek who's here hanging out with us again. Thanks for being here, hey, Derek. Well, here. Um, so I thought those were some funny notes there were probably a few other notes that I thought were humorous, but that, that was probably, Oh, well, there was another point really towards the end. Right. There's a point where like, after their fight, right. Then they kind of didn't really make up, but they kind of said, okay, you know, we're not friends, but you know, we're going to work on this. And there's a point where John's like, Hey, can I stay here? My carbon dioxide, whatever, or something is whatever. And, Levi's like, no, okay, fine. I guess you can stay here. And John's walking to the bedroom. And so we've just had this scene where they had been in this big fight, said some really shitty things that were uh, a really impressive dialogue of fuck you. And then like they kind of, it felt like, well, are they reconciling? Well, not really. And at the end of all that, you know, John is, is walking, you know, towards the bedroom and he's got this smile on his face. That almost makes you think I'm going to say something really neat, <laughs> you know, but no, he's like, just kidding. Can I have a beer? Like can I have a second beer so I can fall asleep <laughs> to me that upon the second viewing, that was funny because you see that look on his face and you think, oh, he's about to say something like, hey, man, listen, I'm sorry. Or, you know what, dude, we we've been through some shit together, but no, he's just like, can I have a second beer? To me, that was funny.
0: Yeah, it, you know, it, it is funny. And of course, you know, the film is about these two new neighbors who mm-hmm. happen to witness this phenomenon and try and document it so they can sell the the uh, documentary to Netflix. And, and I think there was a little bit, there was some humor there too, right? Because they're yeah. obviously, you know, Benson and Moorhead have been film, making films for I think 10 years now. They're well-versed in that world. And at one point, I think John says, oh, I think Netflix will pay like $10 million this documentary. And that's very <laughs> unlikely. Or who knows? Maybe it, Maybe it is very likely. I, again, not my industry, but it. It seemed. It seemed optimistic based on what little I've. What little I've heard. But um, yeah. So they. They. they get together, and, and one of the things that I thought really worked about this, and it, it actually in a, in a way, ties to another film we've done here, which is the Scary of Sixty First, which is how obsession kind of creates these unlikely bedfellows, because you've got, and I think we've all been in this situation to one degree or another, where you end up spending more time than you care to, or than perhaps you expected with someone you don't really know. Mm-hmm. And everything's good until you start to get to know them. And then you start here, you start learning little things about them and you think, no, no, I don't, I don't want to know you any more than I already do. You know, for example, John is a member of a, an apocalyptic church and is actually quite judgmental. And, and I tell you, I live in fear of that, of making friends with someone and thinking, well, this person's all right. I can be around them. And then, you know, they tell you something really heinous about their views on race or sexuality or, or who knows. Right. And I thought it captured that really well, this notion of how well do you know someone and how much you're willing to put up with in pursuit of a common goal. Because I think too, you know, it's as a, as a man, and I think they're in their thirties, you know, it's, it's hard to make, it's, it's harder to make friends as you get older, especially if yeah. you don't necessarily have a pursuit. And so you end up, yeah, just kind of making do with the best you got. And the best you got is not great. Because I, I definitely sympathize mm-hmm. more with, with Levi in the film than mm-hmm. I did with, with John. You know, Even though Levi has his own issues with substance and obviously tormented by, by inner demons, I really saw him as, as a much more sympathetic character than John. Although interestingly, in the press they've done for the film, they both sort of said that at different points, they felt, they felt that neither character, pardon I should say that they felt that the character sort of switch off being the villain.
1: That's interesting. It's interesting you say that. And I, I kind of I, I would that's one way of putting it. And I would agree because one of the first one of the first things I kind of put or one of the notes I had in my first viewing was that in the first half of the movie, I thought Levi was I described it not as villain, but as the weirder of the two, the one that was more kind of what's something's off with this dude. Yeah, yeah. And then in the second half of the film, I became convinced it was John, right? So they they flipped. So I I, I would guess it would seem Levi's the villain or the, the off center one in the first half. And then it's John in the second half.
0: Yeah. And and one of the things that they set up is with Levi is that he is a, he's a registered sex offender and John really hangs us over him. Yeah. But if his story is to be believed, you know, he's a registered sex offender because during lockdown he had to take a leak when he was out in public and there was no public bathrooms and he ends up peeing on what turns out to be a daycare center, a closed close. daycare center. Yeah. But regardless. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it it kind of reminded me of when I was delivering food during the pandemic because I had the same problem, not the daycare thing, but just there were no bathrooms. There Mm -hmm. were no public bathrooms and you're, you know, zipping around bringing people food because not a lot of people were willing to be out on the road at that time or uh, Mm -hmm. kind of out in the world. And you came to really value the restaurants who would let you use their bathroom. Like I I will take a bullet for salt pierogi bar. (laughs) <laughs> or for the white spot up on high quadra you know i, I will uh, i will ride or die for those guys simply because they let me use their goddamn bathroom
1: <laughs> nice friends for life telling okay. you whether they yeah. want it or not <laughs> that's interesting though no, that's a good observation yeah and that's interesting you know the, the whole thing about when you start to get to know someone and then you encounter something like ooh, right and it's it's weird because like you don't want to be that person who like I think it's one of those things. Why is humans? We're a little. We are guarded, right? We're careful, or if, if we have good boundaries and if we're well just. We are careful because if we are investing in a relationship, you're you're you know you're you're opening up part of who you are. You're building. You're spending time. You're getting to know a person, and then if you find something that's just like, I don't want that in my life. You you know you don't want to come across as the asshole who's like you know like sorry but get out of here, and you also. You know, but you also don't want to hang around that, right? So, but I think we've all been there where we get to, we we meet someone, they seem cool, we hang out, and then we get to know a little bit more about them. Like, oh no, you're not. There's something about you that's I, that I'm not okay with.
0: So that's, just, that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I just told a story on the last episode of Ghost Story, guys. I think it was the last episode, a long time ago, very long time ago. Now, I worked for the provincial government as a file clerk, mm. and I my Victoria is a notoriously hard place to make friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, Derek. Your experience may may differ. I know you uh, you live in Victoria as well, but I found it very hard to make friends there. And so I I got to be friendly with one of my coworkers from the government, and he would invite me back to his place for beers. And you know, I got to be honest, his apartment was actually not much. You no, know, it was probably in, equal in terms of quality to to uh, John and Levi's place. <laughs> and uh, although his his was in a crack house, so hope I I, I hopefully that's not the case because apparently it was shot in Benson and Moorhead's apartments. Okay. So hopefully that's not the case for them. Uh, I'd like to think they can avoid living in a crack house, but it's LA. So who knows? Right. But anyways, uh, I would visit this guy. And again, cause I had no one else to hang out with, but he was into Alex Jones mm. back before Alex Jones really blew up. So this would be 2007. Yeah. And I'd go there and you think, okay, well I'll put up with this for company. And pretty soon the lizard people come out and the globalists and the And then, yeah, it's a matter of figuring out how much, how much do I, how much can I endure before this beer is no longer worth it? Right.
1: For me, the answer is one beer is not worth it. That's fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. fair.
0: Something I wanted to bring up was, uh, of course, you know, I've been making a show about ghosts and strange goings on for coming up on seven years now. And something that I really took away from uh, six years, I guess, but something that, that really struck me about the film was how, and I I tweeted about this because that matters, but anyways, how much the film I thought really cleverly lampooned Mm. um, the paranormal community in a lot of ways, because obviously the whole point of the film is that it's, it's this documentary they're making and because of their incompetence, you know, the old tapes get cooked. So they have to recreate certain, certain parts of it. And then you can no longer trust the authenticity of anything because certain parts have had to be recreated, which raises the question of, okay, well, how do we know what happened in the first place? And obviously, Levi and John each have their own theories. Uh, John becomes really attached to this idea that there's something happening there because of this Pythagorean cult, mm-hmm. uh, which has these connections into Los Angeles' history and so on and so forth. And he becomes really convinced, like, this, this is the explanation. And so he starts trying to shoehorn the facts, you know, mm-hmm. so to speak into this mold but really they're just drawing connections you know you and I again were joking off air it's like Dirk gently's holistic detective agency but for conspiracy theories they're just you know free associating and mm-hmm. drawing these threads and I see that so often you know I, in the paranormal community I see people kind of having these little mini adventures and, and I mean you know great that's great have fun but they sort of, I think, it, it attach greater significance to events and things, not everyone, but some people, mm-hmm. and will sort of create this narrative where they're on a grand adventure, but it, they're just kind of piecing it together and, and making it fit. And the, what that does, again, who gives a shit, have fun. But what that does is it hurts, it hurts real inquiry. Because, you, you, know, you know again, I've been doing this for a while. I really do think there is something there. You know, whether it's actually spirits of the dead or any other shit, right? Aliens, whatever, there's something happening. So the, the question then is what? And I think all this kind of, I think I refer to it as adolescent myth-making. I, I think it really gets in the way of, of actual inquiry.
1: No, I, I think that that's a great point. And when we are talking off air and I, am not trying to throw anyone under the bus, um, but you know, a, a prime example of this is the film's hellier, right. Um, which I oh, watched yeah, yeah. and I enjoyed it. It was fun. But they, you know, they use this term synchronicity as sort of a a guise for, you know, drawing these conclusions and connecting things that are very loose connections. But then when you put the web together and create this story, it becomes, you know, kind of interesting and for some people compelling. And that's what happens, right? You take all these little pieces and then. You, you, you. When you're looking through this lens of this narrative, you find ways to connect, and the human brain is so creative. We can find ways to make those connections. Like that's, sure. you know. So we'll do that, and you know, I, I I share your frustration with that because one of the reasons, or one of the, the the perspectives from which I've approached the paranormal, you know, and you know, you know this, and maybe people who watch know this. You know, did I mention I have a PhD? Did I mention that?
0: No, no that's never ever never come, come up. up. No, but Learning no, this but, the first time.
1: Really, the first time. No, but my but in all seriousness, you know, my day job I'm a sociology professor, and I teach that, and I do I do some research, and I I've come to have an interest in the paranormal, and I sort of have these perspectives of wanting to try to approach it from a, a authentic scientific pers- approach. You, you know, you think legitimate. I hate. I know that sounds very condescending. I don't mean it to, but using you know uh, empirical methods and and, and you're right that, like, one of the things I'd love to see is for science to, to take a fresh look at the paranormal and give it a chance as something to study, right? right. Uh, like, you know, guys running around with voltmeters and EMF oh. detectors are not going to prove to anyone other to, uh, that ghosts exist other than the already initiated, right? Yeah. If you don't already believe, that's not going to be – a scientist, you, you can bring all the data you want from that. A scientist isn't going to. They, a scientist wants to collect their own data using known methods, and they want to measure and test things. But they're not doing that because they don't take the paranormal serious. And what you're talking about, the, these kinds of things, pseudoscience undermine that, right, undercut that. So my, my perspective is I'd love to start doing some legitimate scientific inquiries into that, not coming at it with trying to shoehorn things in. Just Let's just take a look at what's there and try to study it in the hopes that maybe there will be enough scientists out there somewhere with the appropriate training to actually start exploring it themselves, right? That's science will have, whether you like it or not, or think it's wrong or not, science isn't going to buy it until science itself uh, is the one that's doing the testing. Right. So, yeah. So that that whole thing you're talking about is undermining the potential for that to happen.
0: Yeah. And so again, I, I think the film really expertly nails that, Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that community, and which was interesting because reading again, reading press for the film, uh, Benson and Moorhead are not really that way inclined. They're interested in Aleister Crowley, you mm. know, I've, you know, as, as a historical figure. But in terms of, you know, the kind of subjects I think we would talk about on say ghost story guys, I mm-hmm. think they fall firmly into the eh camp. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, m- maybe that ability to sort of encapsulate that community just comes from seeing it at a remove and being able to go, yeah, you guys are kind of chasing your tails.
1: Yeah, no, that okay. makes sense. I think you're right though. The the way they set up these interviews and the way they that the characters seem to take themselves a, just a little too serious. Well, John, to be quite frank. The way John took himself a little too serious, smoking a cigarette, being interviewed, and you know, and, and just coming up I you know, I misjudged the my calculations or whatever.
0: He oh yeah, and, and that's you know, like so often the case with these things, right? These yeah. guys will say, oh, you know, I've, I figured out X, Y, and Z. And it turns out they have at best a rudimentary understanding of whatever concept it is they're applying.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, I've, I've not myself, cause I generally try to be conservative about what I say, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a scientist at all, mm. you know, obviously, um, I've been known to wear a lab coat, uh, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's for sex stuff. And. Oh, wait. Hey, well, you know, what's even funnier is I live by myself. So figure that out. <laughs> but, um, anyways, uh, what was it? I completely lost track. Of what I was talking Uh, about.
1: science and the taking themselves
0: too seriously, you know, and some folks. Who oh right. Like, I, so, yeah. Right. Th- so thanks. Yeah. So I, I try to be conservative about the shit I say, but I've had to deal with in past working with someone who is you, not cautious mm-hmm. about slinging these terms around and then having to get the email and going, all right. Yeah, this is not accurate. This is not accurate. You know, this mm-hmm. is not a real thing. And, and there's a lot of that. You know, and, yeah. and again, I, it's not just limited to. Yeah, it's it's a it's a larger problem.
1: There's a whole kind of issue of maybe people seeking liter- legitimacy and, and feeling, you know, so they they, oh, they yeah. use this vocabulary and try to construct these scientific sounding terms and frameworks in order to try to feel like they have that and. You know, that's yeah. never, never, never goes well.
0: There's also, I, I felt there's a little bit of, um, I, I don't know what what you'd call it. I'm sure there's a term. I, I, I heard it referred to when, years ago when I was in Morocco as seven years in Tibet syndrome where, and it, this was in response to, I, I met some Canadians in one city or another down there. We got talking and I mentioned that I'd run into a few other Canadians and you know, I'm a small town guy. I was excited to see other Canadians in such a far away place and they were not. They were quite, quite rude. And I mentioned this to this couple and they said, oh yeah, they said, well, a lot of folks who come to places like this, they want to pretend like they're the first white people to do it. They want to pretend like they're, Mm. they're doing, they're the first one to do this and they're on this grand adventure. And if they run into someone else from the same, you know, six blocks down the road or whatever, it's, it kind of kills their hero boner.
1: Right. No, that makes
0: sense. They call it Seven Years in Tibet Syndrome, and, and uh, there is a there's a part in the film where they're talking. Uh, John and Levi are talking on the roof, and they're talking about, or sorry, no, this this is a conversation that happens in John's apartment. But he says that we live in the most surveilled time in history. But there's never been proof, uh, any kind of photographic proof of a ghost or a UFO, and that's just not true. How real some of them are is is open right. for debate. But I mean, the government, the U.S. government, has released footage of ufo encounters for which they currently have no no explanation right and again i think that's almost an intentional thing because one quality i've noticed in in the kind of people we're talking about is they like to pretend like they've discovered things mm-hmm. or they're the first people to do x so they'll say oh no one else has come up with proof well that's not entirely true i mean they some people have got images it's just there's so much bullshit out there because this has become mm-hmm. entertainment. And I'll be honest, a lot of, I see that a lot, you know, people who do what I do in order to stay relevant, to stay, to stay kind of in people's minds, they have to be having experiences. They have to be going ghost hunting they have to be, you know, seeing X, Y, and Z. And so it makes it, it just by default things, people, things get faked. Yeah. It's interesting because, and in, you know, coming from
1: an academic world, it's just a completely different paradigm and world that like academics live in with, in with information and discovery, right? Because, like, it sounds like in this world you're, you're describing here, you know, that the, the primary thing is building legitimacy through discoveries to your audience, through discoveries that are fantastic, right? And making things sound more bigger than they are. And, and in academic worlds, there's this very pissy, rigorous peer review process. Right. where if you try to over overplay what you are discovering and make it sound bigger than it is, you're going to get ripped to shreds by people you right. know, who know, like, you think too highly of yourself, you know, and you have to really, really kind of humbly kind of state your, 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 your meager contribution to knowledge, you know? And, and so it's interesting to look at that way, but I mean, but think about it. Like, and man, I hope I do not, I don't want this to sound at all elitist because I don't mean it to be this way, but you know, someone, Whenever who pursues,
0: you say Dr.
1: you' right. There's, it's a, it's a losing battle. Like someone who spends a career pursuing knowledge and expertise in whatever area, engineering, academic, an academic field, whatever it is you do, right? You, there's so much that goes into that years of training and, and education and, and hoops to go through and gates to get through, And then building your career, right? And people work hard in whatever field that is to do that. But then there are folks who like, you know, are weekend warriors and they, and they, and they want that same, they want that attention, that notoriety and they construct, you know, these, these ideas and these things they think they know and they may, they'll spend time researching it. But, you know, by researching, I mean like reading a few books and on the internet and it's watching
0: a YouTube video.
1: Watching a YouTube video uh, and like, I don't know, it, but the, the they want to feel like that level of expert. But unless you've been through those hoops, you don't understand how much there really is to it. Like, right. like, like I'm not trying to build this up. Like a PhD is no joke, <laughs> like in terms of the work oh, you yeah. got to go through to get there. And I think until you've gone through something like that, you don't understand. And it, it both is a lot of work, but it also humbles you. <laughs> Because you spend so much time around so many brilliant people, you're like, "Oh wow, there's so much I don't know," right? And whereas conversely, if you're a person who's trying to build up something through in a public space through fantastic sorts of things, you know there are people there are the haters and then the people who love you, but there isn't that peer review process that you have to go through. Anyway, I know that's a little off topic, but
0: yeah, just to sort of put a button on that, I mean. in actual fact, it's not uncommon for people to to obscure where they got what they got, hmm. so it can't be reviewed. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's kind of got their own little their own little fiefdom. I, and again, when I say everyone, I don't mean everyone who works in my field. It's just there are certain people. Uh, I can think of someone in particular, although I, I won't say his name. But he's you know fairly well known in the field, and and you know he's a researcher, but he's a tool. And he just keeps everything really close to the vest because he's got this weird sense of feeling of ownership about it all, Mm. and it drives me nuts. You know, I've never had to interact with a guy personally, thank God, but Mm. I know people who have, and it just, yeah, it's it's, yeah, he treats it like he's like you know, I know something you don't know, and it's it's not becoming.
1: Well, let me let me take us in a different direction. All right. One of the things I really enjoyed about this this film, this completely different uh, topic here, in terms of just as a film and the setting. So I, you know, I'm originally from Arizona. I'm not from LA, but I've spent a a reasonable amount of time there. I've traveled through there. I've stayed there with friends. I've spent time there. I lived in Northern California. I have a little bit of an idea of what LA is like, not, you know, not, not the glitzy Hollywood thing, but real LA. Right. You know, um, you know, and I felt like this, this film, and obviously they lived there, so it's not surprising it would be this way. But I feel like they really captured L.A., the real L.A. in this film, like what uh, the tone of what it's like. You know, the, certainly the mid-century crappy apartment, right? Um, you know, <laughs> right. The, the fire in the hills, right? Yeah. Uh, but like the coyote, he keeps showing these images of coyote and of a coyote. But like, if you're if you're in L.A., one of the things you start to realize is like there are there are these reminders that the, there's to the east of you is desert you know, and, sure. and, and, the, those little reminders and, you know, it's a city brimming with people who are trying to make it, um, you know, a lot of, and, and just the overall feel of architecture and life, really, I felt like it captured it in a way. The only other film for me, and I know there's others that have probably done this that I felt captured it as well. It was actually the film swingers, uh, Vince Vaughn and, oh, and John Favreau. Because if you, and you know, that film's known for all of its quotable lines, but if you really watch it, there's all these little diners and you've got these guys going to these bars and driving around and, and trying to figure out life in their crappy little apartments and the little golf course that they're playing at and just all the city life that's L that has a look and feel of LA and, 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 and being surrounded by the desert, all that, I really appreciated how this film captured that feeling of what the real Los Angeles is for people who live there and who know that it's not all Hollywood and glitz everywhere.
0: Yeah. 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 Working class LA is, I mean, that's most of LA. Yeah. And that's, and and I think uh, folks do forget that Uh, on the coyote thing. That reminds me of a story I heard once when I was, I was hanging out at the comedy store and I got talking to one of the doormen and he was telling me that, uh, you know, the comedy store closes. I think, I think they finish in the OR at two. And then, you know, probably by the time everything wraps up, it's, you know, considerably later. But this guy was telling me he finished a shift and he had parked his car in the hills above the comedy store. Hmm. So he was walking up to his car and all of a sudden he realized he was surrounded by a, a pack of coyotes. Oh, wow. And he thought, shit, you know, he's not a big, this guy was not a big guy. And, and I mean, I don't know how well you could fight off a pack of coyotes anyways. I think, I mean, dudes, we like to overestimate our ability in these things, but. I would not bet on me via pack of coyotes. <laughs> and um, I think it was because only because another car came along that sort of scattered them that he was able to get in his car and then take off. But interesting. yeah, it's, it's a, again, a side of the city that you don't often think about. Even I, you know, I, I like going to LA. I like the buzz there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, I think it would eat me alive if I tried to live there. But
1: yeah,
0: um, you know, I just like being around it. But I, I, that's a side of it I very rarely see, you know. Mm-hmm is uh you know the the coyotes and things and um
1: yeah yeah i had a friend who was stationed out the uh edwards air force base which i think is roseman california out by lancaster which okay. is kind of an exurb it's so it's out in the desert but i spent some time around there too if you've ever seen the film uh the salton sea
0: oh um, sure yeah yeah yeah
1: so the salton sea is an area out there and i believe a lot of it's filmed out there and when you start getting further east in LA, and then even out into those exurbs out there, that that encroaching desert really becomes vivid and salient in in that experience. Um, oh, yeah. Now, we, when you get close to the coast, it's more the beach. But the further inland you go into LA, and which is you know where a lot of the working class neighborhoods you're describing are, right? The rich folks live by the beach, and and the, the working class folks live a little further in, closer to the desert. And you, the further in, I feel like you get more and more of that feel.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, he, this is about 14 years ago now, I went hiking down in that part of the desert with a friend who mm. sort of knew that he he grew up in Albuquerque. And so he, he kind of knew the desert and we went hiking down through Joshua tree, uh, Anza mm. Borrego, and we, I remember we had lunch in Sultan's in Salton in Sultan, uh, Sultan city okay, yeah. and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, com- it's a completely different world. Yeah. You know, I, I remember looking, you, you could just, I think we were, we were in Hemet, California. And you could look towards the the west, and you saw the smog hanging mm. over the valley. But out there, yeah, it, it you know, if civilization ended suddenly, it might take you a while to find out, <laughs> right? And, right. It, and it and it might not look all that different, you know. Yeah, it's it's kind of fascinating country. But but, we, anyways, we've gone far further afield from the film. So, any other points that you wanted to bring up?
1: As someone who you see, I've got my guitars. You know, it's interesting to see the, them playing their musical instruments, right? Uh, they you know the, uh you know Levi had the guitar which I will tell you I mean I don't know how well this actor if he really does play guitar but from the way he was just kind of picking the notes, he didn't look like a a guitar player I wonder if he just learned that but with you know but when John brings in the theremin that that was just great but like I look at them like Uh, you know it's like it reminds me of this that meme you know name this band right when you see a picture of a couple guys but then like i looked at it i was like man these guys look like they they're like the newest members of the black keys that's (laughs) that's what i saw with the chairman and the guitar so i don't know felt like they belong there so that i enjoyed that that little bit and when they're playing the music with whatever you know the floating entity is that was kind of interesting and then the conclusion, the part of it that really seems to be there, this is the supernatural, whatever hook or whatever is at the end, you know, where John wakes up floating and he looks out and he sees Levi is floating into the sky and, you know, and then whatever happens from that. Now the whole thing is framed in this idea that they film this, but then they talk to these filmmakers who were hired to do recreations with them playing themselves. And I think that becomes that, 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 Sort of bending of what's real and what's not, right? Yeah. You wonder, like, is our and and I I I feel like they probably keep that ambiguous intentionally for based on kind of the way you described their and their intent to sort of satire or at least question this whole genre of supernatural film uh, documentaries. Yeah. Um. So you wonder how much of that is supposed to be a recreation, and you know is. Is Levi flying up into the sun or into the moon? Right? Is that a recreate supposed to be recreation? Right. Right. Overall, I thought it was, like I said, the 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 film craft. I thought of this film was pretty good. I really liked that of the film.
0: Right. Yeah, me too. It was interesting to read an interview with them in I want to say filmmaker magazine or something like that, where they talked about the technical challenges because it was a COVID production. There was only three people on the immediate crew. And so they, when one of them is talking, the other one is filming them. Yeah. And they said, uh, and again, I don't think you would know this to look at the film, but one of the challenges was things like matching eye lines. Mm. You know, they really had to work at, at maintaining that. And, you know, it's more complex than I think you would give it credit for just, just watching it. But knowing all that, again, I I think it works really well for what it sets out to do. It's, it's a two hour film that doesn't feel to me, it doesn't feel like it. There's a similar film, you know, quasi similar theme under the silver lake. Okay. And you know, it deals with conspiracy in Los Angeles, but it's it's a much grander film, much more expensive film, I believe, and uh, it's also 35 minutes longer. Okay. And I that I really appreciated this one's comparative brevity.
1: Yeah, I, the first time I watched it it felt a little long. The second time it didn't. And I and I think that comes back to how the first time I watched it with the wrong expectations. Um, Right. And that's probably part of why that happened. Um, but the second time, yes, I felt that way. It felt like it wasn't too long. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the end of my notes too. I think I've sort of nailed all the, uh, um, actually one last thing. I just, I really, really appreciated the humanity in both the characters, and particularly in Levi, and I think I think I identified with Levi more because, I mean, when you talk about his his the actor's inexperience um, with playing the guitar, I I would almost venture to say that is an intentional thing because Levi, you know, he he never sticks with anything long enough mm, to really learn sense. it. And the scene where uh, John is watching the the security playback, and he sees Levi just kind of dancing around his apartment, goofing around, and you know, it's because very likely, and I can't remember if he actually says this, but you know, he has ADHD. Mm. And as someone who also has ADHD, I, I, I mean, I, I don't have it that bad. I can't focus, you know, like, but I know people who really struggle with that. Yeah. And it just to kind of watch and realize this is this guy's life. You know, this guy, this is what he does. You know, this is how he spends his days. He goes to community service, he goes to work and he comes home and he doesn't really have many friends. And he just kind of fills his day and, and, can't really seem to build towards anything and he's aware of it and it, it drives him nuts. And, um, yeah, I just thought that was really kind of striking. And I felt for the guy, especially when, when John is quite cutting to him towards the end, you know, yeah. I, I've met guys like John before. I, in fact, one of my old, one of my oldest friends, I, we're not close anymore, but he was like John where he thinks that to say the cruelest thing about someone is to show that, you know, them. Mm. And he, he never understood that to say these things about someone, generally speaking, they are things they know about themselves already. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you're not delivering them any kind of wild truth. Yeah. You're just being mean. Right. And at the end there, that's, I just, I really felt for, for Levi because that was, I've seen that, you know, and sometimes I've been that guy. I've been on the receiving end of those, uh, whatever you want to call them, those tirades. And you're not, they're not telling you anything you don't already know. They're just right. reminding you and it never feels good. So I, I, I particularly appreciated that.
1: No, that's a great point. Like a similar thought about Levi kind of crossed my mind a few times as I watched it. Cause he just, you know, listen to him talk about, you know, all the things he had tried and that then couldn't stick with, you know, uh, wanting to be a, a skydive instructor. He'd been on one jump wanting to start a band, wanting to get into skateboarding uh, apparel, wanting to do all these things, but had passport issues. and. And and like it just it's a different life than I've experienced, but I sympathize with like like my experience is coming from not having much making some mistakes early, but getting my shit together, you know, I dropped out of high school but got my GD, but then eventually went on to college and kind of found my path and was very determined, but avoided making was avoided made making the kinds of mistakes that would completely derail me, like having records and things like that. And then I see this guy who seems like not a bad dude who just can't ever get off the ground and everything just, he tries, he can't stick with. And then there's just, you know, between income issues and legal issues and passport issues and suspended driver's license and parole just seems like a, a nice guy who's made some mistakes that just keep holding him back and down. And just imagining what that life is like, I, I'm, I'm fortunate to have in a life where I can aspire and pursue things and make progress towards those things. If I work at it and then feeling what, it, imagining it'd be like if, because of all those circumstances I was in a situation where I couldn't make progress. I just, I, I no matter how hard I try, just my, you know, w- w- wheels were spinning in place, you know, and I felt for that. Right. And yeah. then you know then John though I you know didn't sympathize with him <laughs> I mean because he was kind of a jerk you know yes. and I think you're right. the people in my life, whatever flaws that might have, my job is not to to point those out. My job is to kind of do what I can to be a friend and help them however I can through that stuff and so yeah John John was kind of John was kind of an ass.
0: John was kind of an ass if, if there's any takeaway from this folks, it's that John was kind of an ass yes. So, Joseph, would this, would this be a recommendation for me? For
1: someone who likes independent uh, films, yes, it would be.
0: All right. Yep, I would say the same. Uh, you can rent it on all the major platforms. I bought a copy on Google Play. Uh, as always, please don't pirate independent films. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, if you want to do it with with uh, Avengers Endgame, well, okay, fine. It made a whole jillion dollars. It's not going to hurt. But independent movies, you got to vote with your dollars. If you don't pay for them, then they won't make them. So again, you can get that on streaming platform. Well, you can rent it on platforms everywhere. I'm sure it'll turn up on Netflix at some point, but it's four or five bucks. It's worth a rental. Check it out. And just before we head out, a little something I want to share in a new segment that we call The Boost. All right. So The Boost is just an opportunity for uh, me or Joseph, whoever has something to add, to sort of uh, pop a film or a couple films that uh, we're we're not going to have time to do on the show, but are still worth your time. And this time around, I wanted to point out uh, two films that I've seen recently, which in a way I kind of dovetails with our theme of DIY, which is what uh, Benson and Moorhead have done on something in the dirt. Those films are in a stranger's house and landlocked. Now, neither of them are as good as this film, but both have a lot to uh, both have a lot going for them. I believe In a Stranger's House uh, has exactly one cast member who also happens to be the writer, director and everything else. And uh Landlocked is made by a family. I believe it's directed by one of the brothers, uh, stars their father and a couple of the other brothers. And it's a little more obtuse um, I, but it's still still again worth your time. 4 or 5 bucks. Uh In a Stranger's House is streaming on Tubi. Which, if you don't know Tubi, T-U-B-I, you should because it's a great place to see a lot of stuff that's actually not anywhere else, uh, especially in Canada. Weirdly, a lot of stuff that um, you can find on Tubi in Canada is not streaming anywhere else. Uh, another film that I, you know, I don't have the graphic for it, but D.C. Hamilton's *The Fair*, which is a really exceptional sci-fi film, uh, that, yeah, that that was never released in Canada. It only ever popped up on Tubi about a year ago. So, yeah, check it out. Again, *In a Stranger's House* should be on Tubi. Landlocked, you can rent. And again, that's on plat- rentable platform or rental platforms everywhere. Joseph, any last things to add before we head out? Ah, uh, not really. You know, this was
1: an interesting film. Uh, I, I enjoyed it, especially the second watch through. And uh, it's always good to hang out with you, Bren.
0: Likewise, my friend, always. I guess until next time, where I think we'll be talking about Skin Marink because Probably. why not? Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram as Larger the truth, and you can find The Ghost Story Guys, Book of the Dead, Transmissions from the Void, all the shows that Joseph mentioned, anywhere you get your podcasts.
1: You can find me at JoeCamo13 on Twitter. Uh, if you're into football, I've got a, a Cardinals channel called The Cardinal Rule, which now is also available um some of my stuff on podcasts too. Uh, oh, so, yeah. yeah, you can find me there. And then I've got a couple other YouTube channels, In Search of Ghosts, The Sociology Professor, Whatever else I end up spending some time doing.
0: Perfect. All right, folks. Well, until next time, we're weird. And you're weird. So why not be weird together? See you next time. Let me ride.